What does it mean to be human? Are we different? Are we special? Or are we just another animal? And what do we do with ourselves as human beings? Do we have a purpose? In the last episodes of Thinking Theology, we saw that God created the world, that he upholds the world every moment, that he's in control of everything that happens. But he's in control in such a way that our actions are still meaningful. Now we're moving on to think in more detail about who God has created us to be as human beings. That's what we're thinking about in this episode of Thinking Theology. Hi, my name's Carl Bernick. I write about theology and I teach it at Sydney Missionary and Bible College. Welcome to Thinking Theology, a podcast where we think about theology, the Bible, and the Christian life, not just for the sake of it, but so we can love God more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The account of the creation of human beings is found on the first page of the Bible at the climax of God's creative work. The account comes in verses 26 to 28 of Genesis 1, and it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The account of God's creation of human beings tells us a few important things. First of all, quite obviously, it tells us that we are created by God. That's important because it grounds a number of other crucial truths. For example, it means that we're not self-created. We live in a world and a society where we're told that we are self-created. We can make ourselves whatever we want to be. But the Bible turns that on its head. We're created, it tells us, not for our own purpose and not according to our own self-devised pattern, but according to God's pattern. The fact that we're created also grounds the idea that we're dependent on God. He made us. We didn't make him. We exist from his power. And as the rest of the Bible highlights, he didn't make us and then leave us to our own power to continue to exist on our own, but rather he upholds us at every moment. So Paul says in Acts chapter 17, For in him we live and move and have our being. The fact that God created us also grounds the idea that we're obliged to him. That is, God's creation of us undergirds our responsibility to obey him as Lord. As God says in Isaiah 45 verse 9, Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, What are you making? Does your work say, The potter has no hands? God is the potter and we are the clay. We belong to him because he made us and he gets to set the boundaries and the purposes, not us. So the Genesis account of God's creation of humanity reminds us that we are created by God for God. Next, it also shows us that humanity is unique and special. 
We saw in the episode on creation how the structure of Genesis 1 shows that human beings are the climax. In the overall framework of creation, God creates human beings on day six. There are six days of creating that need to take place to prepare the way for humanity. Everything else, if you like, sets up for their creation. The significance of human beings in the account of creation is also marked by a slowdown in the narrative. Everything else in Genesis 1 is created almost without comment. God makes the sun and moon and the fish and the animals. God simply says, let there be this or that, and it happens. But when it comes to human beings, we're given an insight into God's deliberation. God speaks among himself, let us make. In fact, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Nothing else in creation is said to be made in the image of God, but human beings have somehow been made to be like God. But what does it mean to be created in the image of God? The expression image is one that's often used in the Bible to refer to idols. So 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 18. All the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols, or images, to pieces and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. God tells his people in other places as well not to make images of him. So Exodus 20 verse 4, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Although the term used there is different, the idea is the same. Incredibly then, although God has told us not to make images of him, he has made us to be his images. We are intended in some way to reflect him. Being in the image of God also seems to be connected to the task God has given us as human beings. Genesis 1.26 is important in that. God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. The purpose of God making humanity in his image is so that they might rule over his creation. In verse 28, God then reiterates that with a command to humanity, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God has entrusted humanity with the care and stewardship of his creation. God made the universe. It belongs to him. But extraordinarily, he has entrusted it to us to care for it and to develop it and to cultivate it. And what's incredible is that we still have some sense of that. We still have some sense that we are to care for and protect God's environment. Even though we don't often do that well, we still have this sense that we ought to. And even people who are not Christians and don't think that human beings are special in any way still have this sense of responsibility for the world. So to be made in God's image means to reflect God. It also has this sense of ruling over God's world under God. But it also seems that being in the image of God means that God relates to us in a different way than he relates to the rest of creation. For example, God speaks to human beings. He commands, be fruitful, and he entrusts, I give you. When God speaks in the rest of Genesis 1, he doesn't speak to, he doesn't speak 
to the Son, he simply says, let there be. But with humanity, God speaks to us and we respond. God also relates to us in a way that he doesn't relate to the rest of creation. In Genesis chapter 2, God brings all the animals to Adam for him to name. And in chapter 3, Adam and Eve hear God walking in the garden and calling out to Adam and Eve. As people made in the image of God, humanity represents and reflects God. We rule over God's world under God and we relate with God and he relates with us. Of course, what it means to be made in the image of God is a big and complex question. It's bigger than we can understand just from Genesis 1 and 2. The theologian Wayne Grudem then is right when he says that to discover all of what it means to be made in the image of God, we need to look beyond Genesis 1 and 2. He writes, The text only needs to affirm that man is like God, and the rest of Scripture fills in more details to explain this. In fact, as we read the rest of Scripture, we realize that a full understanding of man's likeness to God would require a full understanding of who God is in his being and in his actions, and a full understanding of who man is and what he does. The more we know about God and man, the more similarities we will recognize, and the more fully we will understand what Scripture means when it says that man is made in the image of God. The expression image of God refers to every way in which man is like God. Of course, the place where we see the image of God most clearly is in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect image of God. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We can see what it means to be made in the image of God in Genesis 1 and 2. But we're only scratching the surface. Through the rest of the Bible, our knowledge of what it means to be made in the image of God grows and develops. But it's in the person of Jesus Christ that we understand it in its fullest sense. But another important aspect of God's creation of humanity is that God created humanity as male and female. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Importantly, God made two distinct sexes, and he made only two. God has not created only one kind of human being, nor has he created a spectrum of genders. He has created two sexes, male and female. The creation of men and women is fleshed out in Genesis 2. Genesis 1 gives the account of the creation of everything, But then Genesis 2 goes back and gives a more detailed account of the creation of humanity. In that account, we discover that God first made the man, Adam. But God says in verse 18, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God had made a perfect world. He had made Adam perfect. But Adam still needed companionship. He still needed human companionship. In the words of Tim Keller, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friendship is the one ache that is not the result of sin. This is one ache that is part of his perfection. And so God brings all the animals before Adam for him to name. The idea seems to be that it's a kind of search for a suitable companion. 
But at the end of that, we're told in verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so in response, God makes the first woman Eve. He makes Eve from Adam. That is, she's not something completely new. Rather, she shares in what he is. But she is also literally according to the opposite of him. There's a complementarity there. They're the same but different. And their complementarity enables them to work together to do the task that God has entrusted to them. The most obvious example of that complementarity and fitness for each other is in their sexual anatomy. There's an oppositeness and a fittingness to how God has made men and women. The relationship of oppositeness and fitness comes to its highest expression in marriage, which is introduced at the very end of chapter 2. We're told in verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The one flesh relationship clearly refers to sexual intimacy, and that sexual intimacy is the result of leaving the family or home relationship and being united. In other words, marriage. It's only after they leave their family and only after they are united that they experience this one flesh union. In other words, marriage is the precondition for their sexual intimacy, not the other way around. Finally, it's important to note that both men and women are both in the image of God. So verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's not that men are in the image of God and women are not, or vice versa. Rather, we are both in the image of God. The last thing we see in these early chapters of Genesis is that God made humanity perfect. We'll see in the next episode how we are no longer all that God created us to be because we rebelled against God. But at the end of Genesis chapter 2, everything is perfect. At the end of the creation week, God can look back and say that everything is very good. At the end of chapter 2, after the creation of Eve, we're told, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That is about to be turned completely upside down. But the picture here is one of utter perfection. There's no shame, no hiding. There's no death. That won't come until Genesis chapter 3. Everything that God has made is perfect. God has made humanity special. He has made us to be like him in some way, to reflect him and to relate to him. He has even given us responsibility to rule his world under him. He's made us men and women who are similar, equally worthy of respect and dignity, but who are also different, the complement of each other. Finally, he made humanity originally perfect. Things are not like that anymore. But that was where we were when we started. Well, that's it for this episode of Thinking Theology. In the next episode, we'll be thinking about how humanity lost that original perfection and what the ramifications of that have been. Please join me then. 